Hey, it's Mike Halford from the Halford and Bruff Podcast. One, thanks for downloading. Two, thanks for listening. Three, why not leave a review while you listen to the podcast? And now, back to the show. 802 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. As the music suggests, Thomas Drantz will be up in a second here on the program. Uh, we are in hour three of the Halford and Bruff show. This hour of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. You can visit them at campbell-pound.com today. Uh, this hour is also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Three dealerships to serve you better. North Shore Acura, Acura of Langley, and Burrard Acura on Terminal Avenue. To the phone lines we go, much like the hosts of this show. He too is back from vacation and he's ready to go wild. On the listening audience, it is Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Drancer? Oh, yeah. A real wild man. Me. <laughs> You're back. We're energized. We're excited. There's a brand new deal in the books. I don't even know where to start with you on this, although I do want to ask because we just kind of ended the conversation with Freege in this manner. Uh, when you initially heard it, I know you were on vacation. You tweeted out, but how caught off guard or shocked were you with the timing that it kind of came out of nowhere, all of it really, because I, for one, did not expect it, looked at my phone, and I'm like, oh, there's something that got dropped late on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, I was very surprised, to be totally honest with you, particularly by like the specific timing, right? The moment the draft unfolded the way it did, you know, I, I sort of had assumed that the Canucks wanted to try and get a Miller done, a Miller deal done. Right, you could tell from their posture that that was sort of the, the the fact pattern that made the most sense. But I sort of wondered if they might wait. Like on some level, the the balance of leverage would swing a little bit in the team's favor the closer you get to really stepping on the ice for meaningful games. Right, because J.T. Miller's camp obviously had clear incentives to get a deal done this summer. Uh, before the last year of his current contract uh, sort of told and, and he played through it uh, off of the 99-point season that he had, right? There's injury risks. There's regression risks. There's all sorts of different factors that occur. So I sort of wondered if the team might sort of wait and try to get something done at the 11th hour. Uh, so, yeah, I was, I was very surprised by the, by the precise timing of the deal. Um, you know, and, and the length of it, too, the fact that the fact that in they did decide to ultimately go to seven years with Miller. But, you know, I, I sort of wonder if the cat was kind of out of the bag once the Flames signed Nazem Kadri, who, who's going to be 32 at the start of the season, um, to a seven-year deal. Like, once that kind of happened, I wonder if uh, the market just tilted in Miller's favor uh, and if that was sort of a factor in ultimately getting this done at the, on the timeline that it did, in fact, get signed. What do you think was the main factor? Why did the Canucks do this? Why did they step up and make this commitment? Well, I think there was a recognition that Miller wasn't a guy that there was going to be any practical or realistic path toward replacing. I, I think ultimately that was always in the back of their mind. I think there was trepidation uh, about going in a route where you'd, you'd have to find someone who could do something similar. Um, you know, I, I think that was, really key. They value the player a ton, right? They really like the player. They view him as a centerman. Uh, they view him as a guy who plays a, a heavier game, um, who's skilled uh, quarterbacks, their power play. I mean, his usage in Vancouver is off the charts, right? The, he's been first penalty kill unit the last couple seasons anyway. 
Um, the power play really does run through him in terms of him being sort of the quarterback, the, the primary initiator off his strong side on that, on that left half wall. He leads the team in ice time at five on five. He plays more when they're trailing. He plays more when they're leading, right? I mean, he, he's become a huge part uh, of this team. Not, not just a huge part, but probably the biggest single part from a usage perspective uh, of just about everything the Canucks do in every game state. And I, and I think there was a sense that, you know, they needed him. He wasn't replaceable. He was a must-have. That's what gets you to seven years times, you know, eight per or $56 million overall. Was it a smart move by the Canucks? Yeah, it's a, it's a no, I mean, I don't love the bet. I don't love the bet at all, but I do think that the contract outcome from a market value perspective is fair. Um, look, these contracts for players this age, they just don't work out very often, right? It's pretty hard to think of examples where they've really like worked out. Um, I guess Marion Hossa. <laughs> I mean, maybe you want to say Anze Kopitar's current deal, right? Um, but I mean, they rebuilt around him during that time. And now maybe they'll get two years where they're good again on that deal. Um, you know, it, it's pretty rare. These deals tend to age poorly, um, far more often than not. And, you know, that's not to say that every one of them is a Louis Erickson type deal, right? Like there's all sorts of examples where the player remains productive, but their two way form falls off because, Aging in the NHL, it's like gravity. It's inevitable, right? Uh, you know, you think about Blake Wheeler, right? Signed a five-year deal at the age of 33. So not a perfect analogy, but he was off back-to-back 91-point seasons. Well, his two-way game's fallen off significantly, even though he's still a 60-point-per-year producer at 8.25. Uh, Jakub Voracek signed an eight-year deal at 26. So again, not a perfect analogy. He was still a 60-point player at the age of 33 for the Columbus Blue Jackets, but he's not at that level in terms of his two-way assertiveness at this stage of his career, where he's going to help a good team win games when he's signed to a big contract. Um, you know, the, the Leafs are sort of in that phase right now with John Tavares, right? John Tavares had how many points last year? I, I mean, I don't have it in front of me, but it's got to be 65 plus. Uh, and yet you watch that team play and the fact that their second line kind of doesn't drive things five on five anymore. Um, you know, that's, that's an issue holding them back. It was certainly an issue for them against the lightning, even though Tavares played well. So, you know, you run into diminishing returns with age, and the concern that I have now is with the way that the Canucks are positioned, you know, they're, they're probably looking at 13.5, 15000000 in cap space this offseason, and that's, you know, before a Bo Horvat deal, right? That's with Niels Hoaglander and Andre Kuzmenko still to sign and only one right-handed defenseman signed, <laughs> I mean, under contract, and Tyler Myers. That's not a lot of space, boys. Like, that's not a lot of space. And even the year beyond, if you just assume like a pretty conservative contract outcome for Pedersen and Pod Colson, you know, you're again looking at something like 13-ish million to 13 to 15 million to flesh out 10 additional spots on the roster. I mean, they're now sort of backed into constantly being up against it from a cap perspective while also seeking to significantly, right, like very significantly upgrade their blue line. It's just going to be a really tough tightrope to walk, particularly given the state of their prospect system and the fact that I don't know where the cheap labor you're going to be able to count on, um, you know, to fill in those gaps to help you improve is, is coming from, right? Like it's not currently in the system, at least not at a rate that I want to say, hey, you can bank on that yeah. uh, two years down the line. So, you know, I, I just think they've chosen a really, really tough path 
over the long haul and considering this sort of the state of this team, like as opposed to the Calgary Flames where almost their entire core group is 30 or over except for Huberto, who's 29, Lindholm, who's 26 or 27 now, excuse me, and Manjipani, who's 26, like, you know, the Canucks have Hughes, he's 22, Pedersen, who's 23, right? Besser's 25, Demko's 26. Um, you know, there was runway here. And, and of course, the team was also a 92-point team last year. It's not a 111-point Calgary Flames team that won around, right? Like, the logic is different. The sort of marginal benefit of being better than you would be without Miller the next two seasons and of the stability that signing Miller early brings for this upcoming season, right? Because I do think this helps them make the playoffs this year, certainly, to not have the, the circus that would have surrounded that. Uh, but is that marginal benefit worth the risk considering the state of where this team's at? Like, that's the part, gentlemen, that I just can't wrap my head around. Like, I can't swallow it and say that the risk is worthwhile considering sort of what it prioritizes and whether or not that's worth it. Drance, I'm reading your article uh, right now on The Athletic. It's your six thoughts on the J.T. Miller deal. Um what does defenestration mean and how does it apply to the Canucks? <laughs> to, to defenestrate someone is to throw them out a window. So it's just, Who's getting uh, thrown out a window then? No, nobody. It's just, oh. a, it's just a cheeky reference to windows generally. Ah. I just didn't want to do something like, you know, the logic of windows. I figured defenestration <laughs> would, be, uh, would be a way to, to write it that would, also, that would confuse you. You know, I'd be yeah. like, oh, well, it interrupted by this. It interrupted my reading because then I had to go Google what defenestration meant. I thought and it now, meant maybe deforestation, but it turns out no. it's 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 windows. Yeah, and now, windows. You're, uh, and now you're reading about the defenestration of Prague and are uh, about to be an expert in the Hundred Years' War. So congratulations. I, I have no idea what you're talking about, but go on about the Canucks. <laughs> uh, we're, speaking, we're, we're speaking to Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Um, I did want to jump in when you were talking about the comparable contracts there. And... It's funny because, you know, the deal in terms of the age in which it was signed, the length of term, and the money is almost dead on exactly the same as what Matt Duchesne got in Nashville three years ago. Now, the interesting right. thing with the Duchesne deal is that I think a lot of people had some trepidation when it was signed because of the age and because of where they saw his game go. And then the first two years of the deal, a lot of skeptics were almost kind of rewarded because it looked like Duchesne was going in the wrong direction and the aging curve hit hard. And then last season happened and he, at 31, he had 43 goals and 86 points in 73 games. I don't think everyone realizes how good of a year that he had, at least in terms of statistical output. Now it's hard to, it's hard to bank on that, right? Like it's, it's hard to say, well, here's a blueprint of how these contracts can maybe age in a different way. But uh, between that and then the money that Calgary threw to Kadri, and I know Calgary is its own unique sort of like little vacuum example here and everything, but there certainly seemed like there was a willingness from a lot of different executives around the league to pay out to guys that are getting closer to 30. Almost an acknowledgement that if you want to get those guys or keep those guys, it's almost like the, the old guy tax. Like you're going to have to pay it on the back end of the contract, but that's what it is in this flat cap world in this NHL to keep guys in the fold or to get them For in sure. the fold. Yeah. Well, and Duchesne's, Duchesne's season last year is really fascinating. Um, you know, like he, he had the 86 points, but he actually had more primary points than JT Miller, right? I mean, he was electric last year. He was really good last year. Really good. Really good. And, you know, another good example of a guy who had something of a 
you know, late career renaissance uh, after signing a widely uh, belittled, derided, criticized contract was Jeff Skinner, right? Jeff Skinner on that line with Tuck and uh, Tage Thompson um, sort of bounced back significantly too after sort of it looked like the entire span of the, was it eight, not eight years, $9 million contract, sort of like the maximum example uh, of this JT Miller deal. Um, sort of looked like it would be a net negative from basically day one for Buffalo. So, you know, this is what happens though, right? Gentlemen, like this is what happens with really good players sometimes is the contract might not be advisable, right? The risk might not be great. They may not be in their prime, but every now and then, right? Not, not even every now and then, but some seasons their production might spike because they're really good NHL players. And it's really hard to be a productive NHL player uh, and be a consistent point producer year over year, right? Like, it's really hard. And that's sort of something we've even seen with JT Miller. I know, you know, he's had, what, 211 points in 203 games since coming over from Vancouver. But really, we've seen three very different seasons from him uh, since he arrived here, right? We, we saw the one season where he was sort of the winger who took faceoffs on the lotto line, where he was this, like, elite play-driving two-way piece who put, produced at a point per game. And even if his production wasn't at the apex of the league, he was probably a top 15 player uh, in terms of actual value provided in the league in that very first Canucks season. And then you look at last year, uh, or the 2021, the, the, the pandemic-shortened season, and you know it was something like, what, 46 points in 53 games, something like that. And you know his two-way impact was sort of poor, and he was kind of at the level of a two-way, of a second-line winger, right? Like he was a second-line winger in terms of his overall contributions. And then last year, he emerges as this sort of playmaking centerman and just absolutely knocks the doors off of every opponent the Canucks face from a, from a points perspective. Um, you know, looks like a foul-mouthed Adam Oates um, <laughs> more nights than not. Uh, three very different seasons, right? It's, it's hard to produce in the NHL. Uh, even the best in the world are going to see their performance vacillate wildly. Uh, we've already seen that with JT Miller. We're probably going to see it over the life of this deal. And then we're going to also see, you know, some diminishment of, of returns uh, as a result of just the natural aging that happens. And so, you know, that's sort of where, what the Canucks have locked themselves into. And, and now they're kind of committed to, to a specific course of action, which has sort of been what was interesting to me. I, I wasn't following it a ton, but, Every time I log on to Twitter now, I see people sort of discussing without seeing what they're discussing, how polarizing the reaction to this contract appears to be in this marketplace, right? Uh, clearly, there's very strong feelings on both sides, which, which is sensible. I mean, that, that makes sense to me because of, you know, the risk of the commitment and, and how your level of belief in the overall group would impact your reaction uh, to them being kept together, right? But I do think it's sort of, belies or or hints at the fact that there's still fans despite how the club ended the season over 57 games last year playing you know lights out hockey at a 106 plus point pace um that are not convinced that this team has assembled the right group to win right i, I mean i think there's a widespread sentiment uh, a widespread skepticism that remains among this fan base uh that sort of colored the reaction of this deal and and for me then where the Canucks are positioned, the deal they've decided to sign, uh, the fact that they're doubling down on this core group uh, sort of does put a fair bit of pressure on this team. Like, you know, this team has to win now. Like, this has to work. You can't sign this deal 
sign a Horvat extension and then miss the playoffs a third straight year with this core, right? Like that, that, that can't happen. That cannot happen. So I do think it raises the stakes on, on what has to get done on the amount of wins this team, you know, better um, accumulate over the course of this upcoming season. They have to make the playoffs now with what they've decided to do over the course of the summer. Adrian, I'm only asking you this question because a bunch of people have texted it into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Can you uh, go over exactly what JT Miller's no trade protection is um, on the extension, but also this upcoming season? Yeah, so uh, you know, I need I need to confirm whether or not there's some agreement to honor or extend the extension or send any no trade. Well, no, sorry, because there's no no trade protection anyway through the first four years of the deal, right? It only kicks in the last three, correct? Where there's uh, modified no trade protection that sort of uh, coincides with when his salary dips, right? It's a front loaded deal, so it's going to yeah. pay him more up front than on the back end. And once the deal dips to seven point five million. Um, in salary and then $7 million in the last year. There's a modified no-trade protection, 15 teams. This is as reported by Cap Friendly. And a 15-team no-trade list can really be wielded as pretty close to a bulletproof no-trade list, right? Yeah. You just pick the teams that aren't going to be at the cap, that aren't going to have space to fit your deal. And you sort of leave those teams as the teams you're willing to be traded for, mm-hmm. traded to. And there you go. You've, you've basically got a bulletproof no-trade clause. So, you know, more than anything, the structure of this deal is a little bit, a little bit interesting and, and sort of in line with my analysis calling this a fair deal from a market value perspective in that, you know, I think the structure is very friendly to the player on the front end of the deal and a little bit more friendly to the team on the back end of the deal, including you know, a final year that's paid entirely in salary, not in signing bonuses, which bonuses, which, you know, leaves only, um, 40, it's, I think it's 42% of, of sort of the cap hit of that final year right. is actually guaranteed. Uh, it is a buyoutable contract structure so that that would sort of be in the team's favor, but the trade protection side of it anyway, to me looks like in the latter stages, uh, Miller, if he were motivated to do so, could certainly use this as a as a pretty close to bulletproof um, NTC. Um, one final question: Do you expect Bo Horvat to have a contract extension before the start of training camp? We'll see. We'll see. Um, I don't have like earlier on in the summer when I was hearing really positive things. I felt like I had pretty good intel on, on where the Canucks were leaning there, that it was a priority, that he wasn't going to be on the trade block, that they were keeping him. And in recent weeks, you know, all sides have played this really close to the best. So, um, you know, my information's not the most up-to-date, and I don't want to present it like it is or, or talk around it, you know, like in a history class, pretending I know what I'm talking about sure. with the yeah. defenestration of Prague. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd, I'd far prefer to just uh, level with you. I think that Horvat. They want, they want to make a long-term commitment to Horvat. I think Horvat wants to do the same. Um, you know, there's a sense that, you know, this is his team. He's the captain. And that this will be a long-term relationship beyond this season. So, you know, I've never sort of doubted that something would get done at some point, whether it gets done before training camp. That, that's sort of putting, what, a two-week timeline on it. Uh, I suppose we'll see. Um, not, not throwing cold water on it so much as I, I don't know that that'll happen then. Uh, I would expect it to happen 
you know, either prior to the regular season or, or before long once puck drops. So I still think that will occur. I just don't know or I don't have the latest on exactly how it's trending day to day at the moment. Okay, Drancer, I know it's going to be a busy day for you. 9 a.m., JT Miller is going to be on a Zoom call for reporters. And at 11 a.m., General Manager Patrick Alvin will be at uh, Scotia Barn uh, and available to reporters. So enjoy your day of interviewing JT Miller and Patrick Alvin, and we'll talk to you later, buddy. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to work really hard on calling it Scotia Barn, which just I will never yeah. be able to do, at least on first glimpse. You know, like it's written in my planner as eight rinks, and yeah, it'll always rinks. be written in my planner as eight rinks. I yeah. just I can't, you know, across the board, right? Like I still call it the garage too. Um, <laughs> what? Of course, it's Rochester in it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Trancer, enjoy the day, I buddy. Can't adjust, boys. I can't adjust. Be well. See, See you, buddy. Uh, Thomas Trance from the Athletic Vancouver here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Yeah, good thing you mentioned that. We have not yet, but following this show today, uh, there will be media availabilities with JT Miller and Patrick Alvin. Do we know, Ben and or A-Dog, if we will be airing that live on Sportsnet 650? There's a good chance, yes, okay. to both. Okay, good. There's a. There's a good I can't. Chance. I don't. I never want to guarantee with these things in case right. something goes horribly awry. But the ninety-five percent chance. Yeah, okay. I like those odds. I can't okay. say we're going to try, but we're going to try to try. So, questions for Patrick Galvin. If you could only ask one question, Halford, what would it be? Eleven a.m. He meets the media at eight rinks. You're out there. Uh, you're actually in a media scrum for the first time in a decade. What do I do uh, with my hands? You're like, uh, where do I stand? Yeah. Um, the one que- I know I wouldn't get a good answer because I don't think you're ever going to get good answers from Patrick Alvin. <laughs> but the one answer, the one question I would ask is, um, was the trade market just not there for JT? Miller? Yeah, that's the one thing I really want to know. Mm-hmm. Is I think again, I'll go back to that the fork in the road, not kicking the can down it, but the fork in the road analogy was they reached a certain point with this, and I'm pretty confident that this is how it played out. They reached a certain point in this where it was the trades aren't going to happen, so either. We sign him now, or right. we go down the other fork in the road, which is entering the season without a contract in place. And I think that Rutherford probably said that's not an option. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and I don't blame him. I he's been around the game long enough to know what kind of sideshow that's going to be. And I, we would have been talking about it. Well, he, he admitted in a, in a comment to Dollywall. He yeah. said, we didn't want this hanging over the team. Yeah. Which which begs the question, do you want the Horvat situation hanging over the team then? No, which I, I think that they'll probably get that done. Right. I just Since think. we're right about so much about what's happened on well, this Canucks okay, offseason. Okay, let's, let's be fair with that. There is a lot of guesswork involved right now. Because a, a lot of the insiders that we've come to know and love, uh, the Dollywall, Friedman, Drance, you hear almost uniformly across the board that it has become more and more difficult to get anything out of this group when it comes to... Patrick Alvin is Johnny Tight Lips. Yeah. Like, he just does not say anything. We still have no real fundamental idea of what happened at the draft floor with mm-hmm. the Islanders. You don't know the part. I mean, and talk about the secret societies colliding Johnny tight lips, Patrick Alvin, and then Lou Lamorello. Yeah. Who's the godfather of tight lips. But so the funny be a better way to say that, but I'm going to move on. But uh, yeah, Why don't we tell just... the other reporters, tell them to go suck a lemon. Yeah. Well, pretty <laughs> honestly, and I don't even think it's that. I just think that, um, they, that there is a very concerted effort to keep everything really in house and really, and, it, but and the funny thing is Jim Rutherford talks a lot. And I think that's by design as well. I think if there's one person that's going to talk, it's going to be 
Oh, but Jimmy, he's, Jimmy but, R. But he said a lot of things that haven't panned out. Like, but he's admitted it, right? Yeah, and he, he, I think he's, he's happy taking the bullets when it doesn't. Pan well, out. I mean, he said he said I think he's just in some ways just being honest. Like, I, sure. I know in, I know he has a reputation for manipulating the media or you know whatever. But you know, one of the things he said is like we need to clear cap space, and then he said we'd have liked to do that, but we just couldn't. Yeah, you know, and and, and that's the the situation that. I don't know, may have led to the JT Miller contract and that they're like, well, we can't move any of these guys for anything, so let's just, I don't know, let's just go for it. Um, Patrick Alvine will meet the media at 11 a.m. JT Miller on a Zoom call with reporters. I know he did a Zoom call with a Canucks representative uh, over the weekend. Uh, he'll do it with the local reporters and the national reporters at 9 a.m. What we learned is coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show I'm sure you guys have learned a lot, um, not just on the Canucks situation, the JT Miller situation, but there's been a lot of things happening in the world of sports that we haven't even been able to mention. So perhaps with the help of the listeners, we can mention them in this segment uh, coming up. Get your What We Learns into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Eight thirty-three on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I guess this is a very pivotal time of the morning because a lot of morning commutes are now changed for what six, seven, eight months. A lot of people taking the kids to school on their way to work. If you're making us a part of your morning, thank you very much. I am Mike Halford. He is Jason Bruff. You're listening to the final half hour of the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff in the morning. This hour in particular is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. Now, we are also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Final half hour, uh, we're going to do some what we learns ourselves, myself, Jason, Basketball Ben, a dog, and then we'll turn it over to the listeners. Get yours in. Dunbar Lumber Text Line 650 650. What did you learn over the last 72 hours in sports? I guess if it's a long weekend, it's more like 96 hours, but really all of August because we've been gone on vacation for most of it. If you want to let us know something that you learned over the last month, hell of the summer, we're willing to do it now. Okay, I'm going to start. Uh, I, you know how I don't watch a ton of tennis? And I'm it's, aware. It's one of, one of the sports that I... And I'm not super invested in. Uh, I learned that I've been pretty invested in this U.S. Open because it's had a lot of drama, and it's been fun to watch um, from Serena's farewell match, which I watched and was just so impressed with how she just <laughs> never, ever quit. Mm-hmm. How many match points did she fend off? Like, I think at least five. Um, to Curios making another run. And a lot of people now think that he's the favorite to win the U.S. Open. And a big reason for that is Nadal was upset by Francis Tiafo, who's got a pretty interesting story himself. Mm-hmm. He's certainly not the uh, rich kid country club upbringing. Um, he's well, just he's, he's the revival years. of American tennis right now. He is, yeah. Like, uh, he's 24 years old. Um, 
and uh, Coco Goff, uh, also on the women's side, is into the quarterfinals. Speaking of American tennis, just 18 years old. And while it hasn't been a great tournament for Canada, uh, it was cool to see Vancouver's Rebecca Marino reach the third round, and her comeback is going really well. And I know uh, she had a note on Twitter thanking the fans for all their support. Uh, So congratulations to Rebecca Marino for a terrific performance at the U.S. Open. Again, not great for Canada, but it has been a really, really entertaining U.S. Open. I found myself watching more and more of it. Uh, Ben, did you have anything to add? Because I know you had a U.S. Open related to what we learned as well, or did Jason take it? I'm kind of going the opposite. Ooh. I'm not interested in the U.S. In the Do US tell. Open. I like because it's different theories. now. It's it's I the big three aren't there and yeah. Serena's not there. I think you got to move on, Ben. I you got to move on. Tennis is at a crossroads right now, and you know after Serena got bounced and then Rafa lost last night. I'm like, hey, why am I watching this? Right. Like, so Medvedev out, Rafa out, Serena like, out. What yeah. am I interested in now? There's no Canadians. Mm-hmm. There's no household names other than Kyrgios because he's like a performer basically. Yep. Yeah. And so I'm not sure that tennis is entertaining in the second week of the U.S. Open. First week with Serena was cool, but now I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm not. I wonder I, I wonder if tennis is going to experience something like golf did after the Tiger Woods era. Like right. t- Tiger Woods. I was about to say that. Like, yeah. I was, t- exactly. Well, ti- yeah. I mean, Tiger was such a draw for so long, and people tuned in to watch greatness. Uh, now there was more in tennis. You had the big three and then. Uh, Serena on the women's side, and and it was it was is a little bit different, but you know it was the goats, and I don't know going forward who's going to carry that banner for tennis. Golf learned that it wasn't easy just to find another guy, right? It was originally supposed to be Rory, and then we had excitement about you know Spieth or Kepka or whoever, but you know you learned that greatness doesn't come around all the time. There isn't greatness in every generation and it might take a few years of just, I don't know, finding out who the next grade is going to be if there is going to be a next grade. Yeah, exactly that. And I think right now tennis is at that crossroads where we don't know where it's going to go. And I mean, I don't watch tennis tournaments other than the Grand Slams usually. And right now I find myself in the middle of a Grand Slam questioning, like, am I going to turn this on right now? Mukau. Uh, A-Dog, do you have a, what we learned for the masses? Are you ready to go? Yeah, I was debating on, thank you, uh, which one to do. Uh, I guess I like this one. Is they're, they're reporting the senators, Ottawa senators, are seeing a significant surge in season ticket sales after a busy offseason. Now, last season they had fewer than 5,000 season ticket holders, fewer, uh, sometimes fewer than 9,000 fans a game. Now, they haven't said exactly how many season's tickets they've sold, but they are reporting it's a, a massive surge, uh, I assume because of their rather successful offseason. So I'll be curious to see how it looks this year in Ottawa. I have seen a lot of people, pundits, and, of course, the casual observers on Twitter. A lot of people are really high on Ottawa for this season. Who's going to be the team, of all the teams that missed the playoffs last season, who would be your bet to make the playoffs? Okay, there's a few candidates here. Mm-hmm. Ottawa, I guess, is one of them. They'd have to make a really big improvement, though. I'll just, I'll just really jump big in, though. But hold on. So let me go, okay. over, go, okay. let me go over the candidates. Okay. Ottawa is a candidate. Uh, Vegas is a candidate. Vancouver is a candidate. Yep. Can you think of any others? Um, the Ottawa one is the one that jumps off the page in part because of, honestly, because of the, the, the division they play in. Yeah. What about Columbus? I don't, I don't see it. 
They're not ready yet. I just I think Gaudreau's going to make them more fun to watch, mm-hmm. and they're going to make them more offensively inclined. But I that down team, the down the middle, they're not there yet. They could yeah. be at some point, but I don't think they're there yet. But I look at that. Here's the thing in the in the Atlantic Division, you're going to say uh, I think Montreal's not going to be very good. Is that fair? I don't have high expectations for Montreal. I think they could be fun and young and energetic, but they've got a lot of holes, and that defense is weak. Yeah, I don't even think they'll be that fun. Uh, I think Buffalo's still a ways away. I think Detroit is still a ways away. Uh, Boston. when is Buffalo? Like, when? When? It could be next year, but I don't have that hope and optimism because of what's going on in goal. Uh, Boston, if there's a team that's set to regress more than anybody in the NHL, I think it's Boston. Because of the injuries that they're going to yeah. have to start the season, because of the fact that they're running it back with Krejci and Bergeron, and it's a tough ask. Who knows how good is going to be? I could see him being very ineffective. I think Florida will be good, but they'll be different. That's a totally different team now, right? And and it's I know it's only a one for one swap mm-hmm. with, but I mean, losing Uyghur is going to be a big deal as well. I think Toronto's the class of the division. I think Tampa Bay's too. Just in terms of regular season. I think Toronto's season. the class of the division with like Florida I, and Tampa Bay in there? I th- regular season, I think they'll win the division again. Like, they want to, you know, like... Well, I, Florida I think, won it this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think they'll be back among the top. Okay. I think I think Florida's actually due for a little bit of I think Toronto's worse this season. Yeah, but I just feel like for them, it's like they're going to go. They're going to be yeah, in the playoffs, maybe. right? I'd be shocked if they didn't. Anyway. Oh, I'd be shocked if they missed. Further to my point, I think Ottawa could end up being the fourth best team in that division behind the big three of Tampa Bay, could Florida, be. and Toronto. If Boston falls off considerably. Yeah. That's and that's and that's kind of where they've been trending. Is mm-hmm. eventually the good times are going to run out. In the Metro, I actually think the Metro is much tougher of the two divisions and that's why I don't think that Columbus is going to be able to break through. All right, give us a mucow on that and then we will move to the listeners uh what we learned uh Canucks got to figure out the right side of the defense. <laughs> yeah, we've been talking about that for a little bit. Um, like I said, I, you know, I, I'll be curious to see if they move, uh, Quinn Hughes over there or Oliver Ekman Larson, or at least experiment with it during training camp and the preseason. Uh, right now you've got what Tyler Myers, uh, Luke Shen, who else is on the right side there? Travis Dermott, I guess if he, if he moves over to that right side Yep. Uh, and Tucker Pullman, if he's healthy enough. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I guess, you know, it's. Kind of probably like a wink and a nod to the Halbro show talking about the right side of the yeah. defense. But um, one of the big questions, and actually if I had two questions of Patrick Elveen uh, today in the media availability, uh, the second one would probably be, um, are you going to address that defense or are you comfortable going in mm-hmm. with what you got? Are you still looking? Because yeah. there's still a couple free agents out I'm, there. I'm sure they're the Calvin DeHaan watch. Yeah, which I, I want to be over. <laughs> I don't... I didn't like it when it was happening. P- PTOs. Yeah, I'd, but, uh, you know, Fridge very casually mentioned at the end of our call that sure. he had heard that uh, Vancouver had called Calgary because Calgary now has a bunch of NHL defensemen under contract. I guess the question is, if you're going to make a significant upgrade to your blue line, uh, at what cost and who are you willing to part with to get that done? Mm. Because I'll be honest, and I said this at the top of the show and I'll re- reiterate it again, I got a feeling that dangling, like, for example, Connor Garland, 
isn't going to get you no. the kind of impact defenseman in return that some people think you might be able to get. I think it's going to cost more. Some people thought you might be able to get. I thought. don't think anyone thinks that anymore. Uh, I got Ma- one here. Mano in Chilliwack. Mano in Chilliwack. Uh, what we learned, two things caught everyone off guard on Friday. The JT Miller news. And six hours later, Vince Neal's voice. Thanks for the tickets, by the way. Uh, yeah. Motley Crue. Vince Neal's voice is not. I, I, we saw. Or do, Were you with me? Few years you saw ago? him at PNE, didn't you? No, I oh. saw him at I think I saw him at Rogers Arena. Okay. And his voice was not there. And he was also like out of breath. Like he needed to take a breath between doctor and feel good. Right. <laughs> um, it's doctor. Feel good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I well, okay. This isn't new because I remember I guess it was when crew played the summer concert series. I'm I'm pretty sure. I may just be like jamming together I don't different know concert did. events. Yeah. I thought they did. And I remember a lot of people no, saying they're like, they're not down there yet. Uh, well. I, uh, anyway, the point being was that there was a lot of talks about Vince Neil. It didn't sound great and it didn't look great. That wasn't, it was, was that the concert that they're going to play with poison? And yeah, that was it. That was it. That was it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. That was Where the, was it? Was it a BC place? Yeah, uh, Rogers Arena, if I'm not mistaken. It was. Are, the, are, are we sure about this? Like that was the big Kev one. Kevin Leppard and Motley Crue. Remember, we were we did the giveaways for it. We oh, had okay. Those gift packages. It was a BC place, the then, wasn't it? I, I thought it was. I, I don't know. I, I don't. Does anyone know off the top of their head? Mano, Mano from Chilliwack. Since you drove all the way in, give us more details, please. Uh, here is one from Soapy on the island. Hashtag WWO. What we learned. My seven year old mother has a crush on Bo Bichette. And that's cool because he's got great hair and can mash the ball. He was the hero of yesterday's big win for the Jays in the second of the doubleheaders going yard, not once, not twice, but thrice. So it's funny because I think if you had said at the beginning of the year that a early September series between the Jays and the Orioles was going to have huge playoff implications, everyone would have been like, no, I don't think you follow baseball. But the O's have had such a surprising season. So it was a massive series off kind of like a – they got they gritted it out and got by the skin of their teeth with the Pirates, mm-hmm. and then they came into this O's series being like, "We have to get wins here. Like we, this team has been such a thorn in our side, and you got a chance to kind of bury them." So Gossman comes out in his old stomping ground in Camden Yards in the opener, pitches really well, and then they get the big performance from Bichette in the second of the doubleheaders. So just two huge wins for the Jays, and of course they're back at it. Uh, today and tomorrow. I'm, I'm reading a review of, of the concert, and it yes. was at BC Place. I'm looking at some pictures okay, now. Okay. Uh, apparently, Joan Jett was awesome. Poison was awesome. Def Leppard was incredible. And Motley Crue, total rubbish. So, yeah, the, the the reviews, the concert reviews that predated this one with regards to Crue and mm-hmm. Vince Neil, they, they, they were accurate. It is not getting better. It is only getting worse. Unsigned what we learned. What we learned is college football is more entertaining than the NFL because the players are young and make a ton of mistakes, just like we saw in the LSU-Florida State game, which had the craziest final three minutes I've ever seen. Yep. Yeah, absolutely insane. I turned it off. By you the way. did turn it off? Yeah. Uh, the what? And I regret it because I went and we're, I'm like... Did I you turn it off after the the muffed punt? So there was the muffed punt. I turned it off when it was 24 to 10. Okay. And um, Florida State had just scored. And it was about seven minutes off. I'm like, and LSU... Because well, yeah. LSU had 10 points at that point. Yeah. I was like, they don't look good. Also, I was like, I'm going to flip over to the Whitecaps game. Okay. And that was a, tra- Another mistake. That was a tragic mistake. And mm-hmm. then uh, I didn't get... I wasn't paying attention to Twitter. We had, I had a bunch of buddies over... 
I didn't actually get a chance to jump back over for the that sort of climactic ending. I so long story thing. short, there were a lot of mistakes, and it capped off with an LSU 99-yard drive to tie the game. They got the touchdown, but then the extra point was blocked. Well, they didn't tie the game. They were down by one. They needed the extra point. Well, they to got tie the, the touchdown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. would think to tie the game. Yeah. Because the, the the extra point seems to be automatic. I mean, especially in college football, because they still do it at that old spot, yep. right? Oh yeah, it's it's a it's a chip it's, shot. It's a chip shot. Uh, but Florida State blocked it, and that was Brian Kelly's debut with LSU, and it did not go well. <laughs> Scott uh, Scott in the inbox, kickstart. My heart is now a medical request, not a song <laughs> request. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Juan from Comox, what I learned, Champions League starts today. Where's the footy talk? I, sure does, you know Juan. I, I apologize to all all the listeners that tuned in to hear our wide-ranging sports talk show. We talked a little bit of NFL with Mike Tanier. We kind of mentioned the U.S. Open just a few minutes ago, but we really didn't get into much of anything else just because the J.T. Miller news broke Friday, and that's obviously going to dominate the show. Um, this is the part of the show where I need to remind you that you need 18 streaming services just to try and watch all of the international footy. So, um, Champions League begins today. There's some good matchups like Juve PSG, mm-hmm. um, Real taking on Celtic. Now that's only interesting. There's two Scottish teams in the Champions League this year. And then, uh, Man City and Sevilla. So there's good matches today, mm-hmm. but they're on DAZN. Right. But if you want to watch Premier League this weekend, you need Fubo. Right. And don't forget... Sportsnet with a wide range of coverage, including the Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. So it becomes one of these things where you're just kind of dancing around. And I have binged uh, all the football from the last month. Right. In part because I was on soccer. vacation. Soccer, soccer, soccer. We call it soccer here in North America. I call it football for the time being. And uh, then the Whitecaps as well. There's mm-hmm. a couple of people texted in. Uh, season's done. They're done. They're done. What a, what a disappointment. They won a trophy. And I'll tell you what might soon be done as well is Vanny Sartini's tenure as the club's manager. You think so? I think so. Yeah. Is it him or is it the the, the guys on the field? Uh, I think that especially in the last two matches, mm-hmm. what you saw from the most important players on the pitch might be very telling about what they think about the way that the team approaches the game. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, gotta, I, I would not be surprised. Uh, Alistair in Clearwater, what we learned, talking about the Canucks here, I learned that this management group is just as short-sighted as the last one. They're going to try and force their window open just like the last regime did, and it's going to slam shut on their fingers once they realize that it was way too early to push their chips in the middle. I will say uh, once again that I am surprised by how the Canucks offseason went. But if you look back at it, maybe management's hand was forced in what they couldn't do, uh-huh. but it wasn't forced in, 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 in signing JT Miller. So could have been by who, by what, by if the trade market didn't never make okay. it. So, 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 no, no, no. But here's the thing. I've always said that. So, so people act like the worst case scenario for the Canucks with JT Miller is that he walked away for free in, in free agency. Right. Yeah. Agree or disagree. That. Is the doomsday. Okay. I'm going to disagree with you there because the worst outcome in the JT Miller situation, and I'm not saying it's going to play out, but here's the worst possible outcome is that JT Miller does not age well and the Canucks are stuck with a bad contract. 
That's the worst outcome because then it becomes not just walking away for nothing. It becomes a negative asset value that you cannot trade or you have to throw in a first round draft pick to get rid of. But it's all, but it's all risk. It's all risk analysis and management at that point. Really? That's what it comes down to. You have to weigh the risk of him walking away for free and losing whatever offense he gives you and then getting nothing in return or. Yeah. Well, but Alistair is just saying, and and I think it's a, it's a fair point. Uh, like I understand, I'm, I, I I understand where he's coming from, and I, in some ways, I tend to agree with it. That this management group has pushed their chips into the middle too early. I don't think, like, prove me wrong, kids, prove me wrong. I don't think this team is ready to compete for a Stanley Cup. No, but the timing. I think didn't we need up. to. I the think timing we, didn't line up when they got they had to make this decision. That's what I'll say. Is they they had to they had to do one or the other, right? And I think at a certain point, it became abundantly clear. That what they wanted they have to do. They didn't have what, to do it. What they wanted, what they wanted out of a trade was never going to materialize. Now, if you want to do the hindsight being twenty twenty, or you know, uh, maybe they missed an opportunity at last year's deadline when the price might have been higher. It might have dwindled mm-hmm. for sure, and that's on management without question. But I think internally they knew that this was, and I'm tired of throwing the fork in the road uh, analogy out there. But I think that they knew that it had to go one or two directions. I will say this. Going around the league and look at the deals signed by Gaudreau, Huberdeau, Kadri. Take your pick on some of the free agents of Forsberg re-upping in Nashville. Mm-hmm. There is a good player tax, for lack of a better term. Is that if you're a good player, then a team wants to try and have a manageable cap hit, yep. then you almost have to acknowledge that, you know what? We are signing this guy to a deal with the inherent risk that it's going to age like crap. And that's not exclusive to JT Miller. He's part of that group. And he's part of that conversation. I, I just can't wait to see how it plans out. I just I'm so, I'm I'm so excited for the season just yeah, to so see scared. what see so what yeah well, that always happens yeah but maybe more so this season they have to get off to a good start they right. just have to and they know, start with five straight on the road it's gonna be fun right from the start I yes. want to know how the decor looks like that's my big question mark like how is it what's gonna happen with this D this year I thought you meant like decor. Decor? I thought, what, I thought you were yeah, mispronouncing. The, you mean you mean defensive core? Yeah, what's, what's the I thought you meant like, like the decorations around Rogers Arena. around Rogers Arena. Yeah. Like, what, New what paint job. <laughs> yeah, some doilies on the seats. I don't know. I wouldn't expect uh, the decor, the decor. <laughs> to, to look any different. Is that different. not a right way to say it? No, it's fine. It's fine. No, it's just, fine. I just heard it differently. Because <laughs> you came out of nowhere decor. and your voice was so excited. You're yeah. like, I would like to know about how they're going to decorate. No, um, I don't. I wouldn't expect it to look any different than how it does right now. <laughs> Andy walks into Rogers Arena. And he's like, you know what? This place looks great. I Caesar's love what you've done with the place. Great. Yeah. I just, I just, I, it's almost homey. I, I feel like comfortable. <laughs> the candles by the seat. <laughs> yeah. You got one of those eat, pray, love signs up on the wall no, that you like, got from winners? What if, like, three – obviously, the injuries are always the thing, but they have no depth. So what if, like, three guys get injured? Like, what happens to Oh, this? then they're screwed. Like, what happens? <laughs> then they are like, – yeah. To me, that's the thing that makes me the most nervous about the season. Like, obviously, I love the Fords. I love the goaltending. But outside of Quinn Hughes, yeah, what happens? Uh, well, if, if they get a rash of injuries, they're completely screwed because in addition to not being good with the top six, they don't have a lot of depth. Yeah. Right? There's not a lot of guys waiting in reserve. Um, I hope they could just outscore their defensive here's problems. One, but here's one from Kevin on the road. We didn't read this one yet, right? Hashtag WWO. What we learned: the Canucks will trade away their first round draft pick at this year's draft. Well, if you're all in, you may as well go the full nine. Uh, just one more thing: congratulations to the Canadian women's hockey team winners once again. Gold medal in the World Championships. Gold medal in the Olympics. Gold medal in the last. World Championships, Canada, obviously, 
owns the Americans in women's hockey. What was that, three gold medals in the span of a year? Pretty yeah. good. Pretty Just good. Put it on the pile with the rest of them. Congrats. Uh, before we go, before we go, I will tell you that JT Miller is going to be on this station today. He is going to be on with Sat and Reach later in the morning and afternoon. So keep it right here uh, on Sportsnet 650. For now, though, we got to get out of here. That's what the music is suggesting. Signing off for Tuesday, I have been Mike Halford. He has been Jason Bruff. He has been Basketball Ben, and he has been the A-Dog. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.